Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Dragon's Demise, the podcast about what happens on, around, and behind the tabletop. Today, we're back to our regularly scheduled programming with a review of Zaya and its expansion, Embers of a Forsaken Star. But first, let's talk about what we've been playing. Yeah, so we had a few games that we, we got to play. We actually just finished In the Name of Odin. Ooh, we did. And that's a game that I've been trying to get Greg to play for a while. <laughs> Not for, you know, lack of interest on his part. He's definitely interested in the game, but it was just timing didn't work out for us. Yeah, and actually after playing it, I'm kind of kind of sad it took so long. I think it was a really interesting game. So as you might be able to guess based on the name, the whole thing is, you know, Viking themed. You're going on raids. You're building up your, your village and sort of recruiting more warriors, traders, sailors, who are all essentially warriors by the mechanics of the game. They all go on raids together. But overall, I thought it was really great. I thought it was really well designed. I thought a lot of the core mechanics of, uh, you know, you have cards that are action cards, and one of the symbols is a type of of guy, you know, red, Mm -hmm. blue, or black, and you can pay them to recruit dudes. Or at the bottom, there's a symbol that denotes sort of... um, the actions. Exactly. Actions that you can take related to your capacities in town, you know, building things, you know, crafting longboats for you to go out in raids and hiring heroes who lead the raids. So overall, I thought those were you know, very well designed. I thought the scaling was quite good um, in terms of, you know, building, costing more, the more buildings you have in terms of making sure that the number of dudes that you have is never completely unreasonable. And you can't, you never feel like you're totally just winning this game it's always you know it's always okay i have enough to progress now you know Mm -hmm. it's it's very it comes in waves i think yeah Uh, and overall i i thoroughly enjoyed it yeah i mean i I think it's interesting because it's like a lot of times you're you're doing what you have to do in order to uh, you know stay in the game uh you're never feeling you're winning but you're also never feeling like you're fully behind Right. And, and it's just like you're just like moving through and like seeing how many points you have on the board versus in uh, on the actual like track or anything like that, because you have some points that actually stay in your longboats that are in your uh, buildings that you build and things mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's really interesting just like how the different actions are dispersed throughout the deck as well, because like they're the least number of like the build actions, which also cost the most cards to do. In right. all in all, which of course makes sense because that's the most like time investment kind of thing that you would think of in this time period. Mm-hmm. And all in all, I, I really enjoy the game. I like the mechanic, especially in raids, that you can mess with people. Yeah, that was really interesting. You have so, like, when you go on a raid, you'll have the sort of warriors, the mm-hmm. standees that you're required to contribute, but you also have to contribute cards from your hand based on the three different types of actions and they are revealed from the deck or up to three of your opponents can contribute one card each and you can sort of tailor it to what it is that your opponent did so like if you saw them spend a lot of seafaring actions then you can maybe assume that they don't have many of those you can contribute those to try to sort of force them to take fewer points Mm -hmm. it's an interesting mechanic i'd love to see how it plays with more than just the two of us yeah because i think it's a mechanic that would really shine in a four-player game it really does i have played with more players i think i've played with four um maybe even five and it really really does shine at that point because a you have a lot more pressure to go on raids immediately when you can and Mm -hmm. you can't really like wait for your other player to like go or not go and that kind of stuff because you have another three or four people between you 
So what you're going to do is you're going to try to build up and there's a lot more time pressure there. Yeah. And so that means that you have a lot less cards in your hand. So you can't be as prepared as you would be if you waited until the next turn and just had like that one other action and then go on the raid while you still have like a full hand. So that way it does make it a lot more impactful. But I think one of the best things about the whole messing with your opponent kind of part is that it doesn't mean you ever fail the raid. Yes, that's nice. It just reduces your your point total. So it's yeah. it's much more of a euro style where, you know, the inputs are static and then the outputs are slightly dynamic as yeah. opposed to, you know, sort of the American style of gaming where, you know, you contribute your variable inputs and then like you either get it completely or just fuck it yeah. up. Yeah. Exactly. Um, exactly. Okay. So you're always going to actually succeed on the raid if you have enough people or if you have the right people but if you are able to deal with the unforeseen events that are put in your place you get an extra point or if you're not able to do it then well you lose some points yeah it it really i think is an elegant mechanic that i really like in games and i'd love to see it in more games yeah i think it'd be interesting so that was cool i'd love to play that with more players i have had a chance actually at home to play Mystic Veil. I played your copy of Mystic Veil for the last time mm-hmm. because I got my own copy yep. uh, from my parents for my birthday. So that was lovely. Got a you know one last chance to play with all of the expansions. And honestly, I am sort of looking forward to going back to the base game just because I think, you know, in a game where you're playing with all of the expansions to date, you know, minus the new mm-hmm. Conclave Mega expansion, it, there's just so many improvements and there's yeah. so many veils and some of them are great like i you know i love i love the new little tokens that you can flip over you know i think they can make the the game you know variable player power mm-hmm. really interesting in some different ways i think the heroes that came mm-hmm. with veil of might are super incredible but overall i think i like the the simplicity and the consistency well, of just the core expansions i think that what uh, you need to play is you need to play with Conclave because Conclave actually gives you the ability and like actually has like cards that have like sets of improvements that mm. you, you can like you can say like I'm playing with these five Conclaves. Oh yeah, see there you go. And That's then, exactly like, that, that tells you that you use these like each each one of the cards has four veils and like three or four different improvements on the card. That say oh, that okay. like okay if I'm playing with this this conclave I play with these 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 and these and yeah. like they are supposed to work together in some I way love that. and that kind of stuff I love that because I think that's one of the things that was you know overall I have sort of been a, a consistent advocate of Mystic Veil as being like one of the best deck builders out there mm-hmm. compared to you know sort of the the classic archetypes and my first deck builder of Dominion yeah uh, but I think that one of the things that Mystic Veil has always been lacking when compared to a game like that is a, a sort of confinement. Mm-hmm. in its setup you know dominion it's you got 10 cards that's the available cards to pick from and that's never going to grow yeah and other games you know something like ascension something like a star realms mm-hmm. you do have a relatively big deck but you only have you know five cards at a time and you get through them i think a lot faster mm-hmm. in a star realms so i'm excited to see that i'm very much looking forward to playing with it although it does seem like it would be hellish to sort through well, I think that one of the things that you're supposed to do is you're supposed to have like the the card sorted uh, in the box, when? and then <laughs> and then later on do it. Which I mean, it's going to take a little bit of upfront effort, but like after that, like if as long as you sort them after every game, right? True. Like it's not bad. Oh yeah, definitely looking forward to that. Mm-hmm. We also actually got to play one other game, which you may have seen on stream. 
And that is Dark Souls. Yeah. Yeah, that was a little unexpected. That and uh, our reactions are definitely mixed. Uh, Yeah. I mean, Dark Souls is legendary for what it is, right? It's punishingly difficult and it's it's oppressive. Yeah. You know, and I think that's very much reflected in the board game. I do think so. There are parts of it that I absolutely love and there are parts of it that I really do not. Right. So I played uh, the support character, which is the Herald, mm-hmm. and uh, sat there for a majority part of the game being extremely bored. Because yeah, you though, didn't really have a lot to do. Yeah, I like being support. I really do enjoy that kind of stuff. But I like when the support has a, an actual, like, more visible, like, pretty big impact mm-hmm. versus what this game had was all the support things that I could do were like barely impactful. And then the ones that I did do that had some sort of impact were very like small. Yeah. And it's just like, it's the kind of thing where, you know, you, you take so much damage in one turn. If you, if you are in need of healing pretty much mm-hmm. that like in order for me to be able to heal like a, a character, like, I would have to go around like, six rounds in order to do that by that time you're dead right and i think that's sort of the biggest drawback of the game is that in their quest to make it as you know like difficult as possible what they've done is make it so that the players can't do enough yeah really so like i in my mind one of the best comparisons for a dark souls boss fight in particular although some of the harder uh you know regular encounters as well but a boss fight certainly is a cooperative game like spirit island Mm mm-hmm which has characters in very distinct roles dealing with a lot of, you know, specifically programmed enemy stuff. So, you know, you're predicting things, you're you're looking to shore up weak areas. But in a game like Spirit Island, you might feel overwhelmed, mm-hmm. but you never feel incapable of making a difference. Yeah. You're always able to do something that can at least like get you to the next turn, and it's always something exciting. You know, you're mm-hmm. always playing playing cards and using powers. And I think with Dark Souls, one of the things that really happens, you know, especially for you in the support role where it was, I heal you for one stamina and one health every single turn. Yeah. But even for me as a warrior where it was just like, I move and I throw a kunai at it. Yeah. Or uh, whatever the range kukri. weapon. Kukri. Was yeah. it? I thought it was a throwing weapon. It was a kukri. Oh. Hey, that's, that's what the card said anyway. Right. Well, either way, I that was like my thing. You know, just doing the same crap over and over again and not even interesting crap. So... Overall, I mean, I know there's a new expansion coming out soon. Yeah, yeah. so the expansion is supposed to come out um, with the rest of the Kickstarter exclusives and that kind of stuff because this is only like the very base game, whereas Kickstarter earns so much money that like there's pretty much double this content coming oh, out like, very soon. So uh, there are an, another, I think, four or five different playable classes that you can play and some other weapon and armor expansions which mm. is really nice and i think that that's for me where it like really fell down this has a similar problem to what zombicide had which is that all the items are just randomly shuffled together yeah that's frustrating and it's like you can draw on your first turn like this is going to be an amazing item that i can't use until like five games from now yeah so it's it just it's very frustrating in that way and that all being said i think that the the combat mechanics themselves are interesting oh yeah they like, do lots of good stuff i i like the the fact that like the programming is done really well the cards for the bosses are really cool and i think that that's good i just think that the rest of the game around it it needs work yeah totally agree uh but there you go that's a look at what we've been playing 
Treasure Ground Control, this is the Starship Swamp Rat requesting permission to clear planetary shields. I've got some Terra cargo that I'm looking to offload. Starship Swamp Rat, permission granted. Who? What the tarnation? Ah, it's the scoundrel. He's on my tail. Send in the enforcer. Red alert, red alert, enforcer inbound. Well, that is just one scene from Zaya Legends of the of a Drift System. And there are many scenes like that and many others besides. Uh, yeah. Zaya is an absolutely incredible, open-ended, just singular game. For sure. It's a game where you are pretty much playing like Han Solo, Lone Star, one of these guys who's just like traveling and exploring the verse. Yeah, pretty much. Very much, you know, Firefly, Eve Online. Like it's it's so self driven. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's incredible, and I think one of the things that we, one of the ways that we sort of conceptualized it while we were talking about how to do this review was a three X game. You yes. know, if you think of your traditional four X system, you've got explore, exploit, exterminate, and expand. This has everything except expand. You know, you're mm-hmm. not an empire. You're just a guy piloting a ship. Yep. And you can, you know, ferry cargo. You can explore the galaxy. You can just blast the shit out of some unsuspecting merchant vessel. Yeah. You can do anything you want in your little corner of space. Exactly. And the first thing to talk about is, well, your ship. Right. Yeah. Right. Obviously, that's a huge part of the game. That's the basis of it all. And, and the ships themselves are really interesting. So... You have three different tiers of ships. You have tier one ships, which are like the podunk little, like, barely got off planet FTL ships. The Swamp Rat. Uh, yeah, exactly. The Swamp Rat. You know, the, the Puddle Jumper. The, those guys. And then you go all the way up to tier three, where you've got, like, the Nightshade, which is just, like, some crazy experimental vessel of, like, some mad scientist that you, like, become, like, fully engrossed in or like the long haul which is just like this huge freighter that like has a bunch of other kinds of things there that let you uh, be almost self-sustaining including like a mini little ship to like go run errands for you yeah yeah you know there's definitely progression there across the tiers and really satisfying progression Mm -hmm. each of the ships even within a tier has sort of pretty dramatically different shape and size Um, each of them has a cargo hold that is divided into a number of squares which can be you know greater or fewer in number but even if they have the same number they're in a different configuration based on the shape of the ship Uh, and the reason that configuration matters is because you have outfits as well which are things like shields engines blasters which aren't just you know cards that say you have this tier of, of engine or whatever they're actually shaped you know they take up space in your ship mm-hmm. and they are shaped like a thing so missile launchers are straight lines yep. blasters are sort of l-shaped and it leads to this really interesting almost tetris-esque like how do i configure my ship what do i have room for yeah because you might have i think the the long haul has something like 24 cargo space 18 18 cargo space there we go which is among the highest in the game but it only has very few places that it can actually put a maximum size shield yeah. because that is three vertical and it has almost no space for three verticals. So mm-hmm. you have to make these concessions. And I think ship design is one thing that the game does really well. Oh, for sure. Uh, I think that that and then the outfits themselves are also pretty interesting. Uh, they, they have three tiers each. So uh, each outfit, they, an engine has one, two or three tiers. And the way that that's denoted, A, is more spaces, but also, B, they roll different dice whenever they, they're trying to perform their action. Mm-hmm. So each of them has an action that's associated with it. You know, 
engines, of course, movement. So when you have a tier one engine, you roll a D6, and that's how far you move. Yep. When you have a tier two, you roll a D8, and that's how far you move. Tier three, D12. And generally, the progression is very similar in, in the other ones as well. And so it's just that progression itself is also really interesting because, you know, you, you can mix and match however you want, however your ship allows almost. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, it just makes it very, very interesting. And those, of course, also work with the actual ship abilities themselves. So each ship has has its own ability that you can use. So for everything from the energy scoop, which is a puddle jumper's ability, which allows you to just harvest energy from space. Mm-hmm. to like something that allows you to jump through planetary shields or something like that. So uh, there are a lot of different kinds of abilities, and each ship is unique in that. Yeah, variable player power, very much an expression of that. Uh, Jacob mentioned energy just then when talking about the Puddle mm-hmm. Jumper's special ability. Energy is sort of the backbone of all of your ships. The way that you activate your abilities, the way that you perform actions in space, whether it's salvaging or engaging in combat, things like that. All of that is eventually taken back to energy. So each ship has a different amount of energy which you can spend to arm your markers, which are what you use to use your uh, outfits, so your shields and your weapons and things. Mm -hmm. And then at the end of the turn, you spend that energy to rearm those markers. And eventually you can you know, run out of energy, so capacity is important, and that's mm-hmm. a big limitation on, on gameplay, actually. You have to refill your energy at a planet. Yeah. So, you know, you kind of have to be, be tethered until you get to the late-game ships, which have a bigger energy pool, um, and mm-hmm. sort of, you know, builds in that progression. Yeah, it makes sense. Like, when you're a small little puddle jumper, you're just going from planet to planet. You don't really have much energy there. Uh, you just have enough to get there, and that's it. But when you're the long haul, you can... Go for days. Right. You're in it for the long haul, as it were. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so that that's the ships, and that's like what you have in your hold in the ship in general. But what do you do with it? And the first thing that you can do with it is uh, missions. Uh, you can get missions from many different places, one on each tile. And the spaces that give you missions, you, you get to draw some cards. It's three cards per time that you go onto a space. And now you look at the missions. The missions can be anything from delivering cargo to you know doing research out in the middle of nowhere Mm -hmm. or you know transferring someone from one point to another like a pilot in danger or something like that well those are the lawful missions yep because there are also outlaw missions and outlaw missions you could be smuggling something around the shields of of a planet a lawful planet of Mm -hmm. some sort it could be selling something to loath which is one of the um outlaw planets Mm -hmm. Uh, there are a lot of different kinds of things and and also some of the outlaw ones also uh have you killing one of the ships that is close by you know destroying it or stealing from it as well so there are a lot of different kinds of missions that you can get and and most of the time you can find one that is tailored to what you want to do with your character yeah in the missions that you uh draw yeah Definitely. Uh, you know, the, there's a big diversity of missions, which just sort of reflects the big diversity of options in the game. Yeah. So missions are, are definitely a really fun way to get a lot of victory points, but you can't really run missions until you've explored a little bit. Yes. So uh, at the start, there will be a central system surrounded by one system per player, mm-hmm. each of which will have a starting player. And from there, 
it's up to you to explore. So, you know, you can scan things down, go to the edge of a, a sector and see what's coming. You can blind jump. If you're in the middle of a movement and don't feel like stopping in order to scan stuff, you just say, full speed ahead and, and warp into a new sector, even if it's a planetary shield that's going to zap you, even if it's a stun, because yeah. that is a thing that will happen. If you play this game, I'm telling you right now, someone is going to blind jump into a sun and it's going to be hilarious. Yeah, whenever someone blind jumps into a star, it is amazing. It's fantastic. It's so good. Yeah. Um, but so, you know, exploration is a big aspect of the game. And especially if you have the expansion, this is a huge game. I think it's oh, it's sure. something like, like, like 40 tiles. Because I know there's 20 in the base game. And I think the expansion adds another 10, maybe 15. 11. Yeah, and 21 in the base game. So a grand total of 32 tiles, mm -hmm. which is way more than enough to have, you know, endless, endless room in space, yeah. which is great because the game plays up to five players. Mm -hmm. So, you can, you know, you can give each other some elbow room, things like that. Um, but exploration, really integral to a lot of what comes next because it reveals access to mission points and it also reveals terrain so yeah. terrain can be any number of different things you've got nebulas you've got uh, asteroid fields debris mm -hmm. just floating around and terrain is really important because that's where you harvest resources mm -hmm. and you harvest resources there um by you know, go going into them and these are also hazardous for that, pa for, that mm -hmm. for that matter and so you know if you go into an asteroid field you will probably get hit by some asteroids, so you'll probably take some damage. Right. And you have to like, you know, roll to get in and then see like, whether or not you're actually able to succeed in gathering the different uh, resources. So each of the different types of terrain pretty much provides a different resource that you can gather from it. And some of them provide different kinds of damage. Debris fields can kill you outright. Asteroid fields just do regular damage. Or nebulas, which drain your energy. Right. But once you've collected your precious cargo... Uh, it's time to go sell it. Mm -hmm. And you do this when you go to planets. Now, planets themselves, there are a few different types. There are three, actually, types. There are outlaw planets, there are neutral planets, and there are lawful planets. Yep. Lawful planets can only be entered by ships that have no bounties. Uh, neutral planets can be used by just about anyone. And outlaw planets, if you are seen going into an outlaw planet, so if you go to, through the entrance of, a, of an outlaw planet's shield then you will get a bounty. Right. You've been seen consorting with criminals. They can't have you, you know, visiting a lawful planet. Exactly. So the neutral and the lawful planets also each have something that they produce and something that they will buy. They have production, they have demand. And so when you collect a certain type of good, you have to go find the planet that will buy it from you. Appropriate. And when you sell a, a whole cargo hold of goods that you collected out in the in the verse, then you can also get a victory point, which is nice. And pretty much in the game, you're trying to gain as much fame or notoriety as, as possible. So. Exactly. Uh, and so we've talked about a lot of different ways to do that, actually. Missions give you victory points. Mm -hmm. Upgrading your ship gives you victory points. Yeah. Trading, exploration, and, and harvesting don't, except in that exploration also reveals uh, little tokens tokens yeah. with question marks on them that can have you know sometimes they give you money sometimes they mm -hmm. give you resources sometimes they just give you points mm -hmm. um so you know there's there's a ton of different ways to earn victory points notoriety fame mm -hmm. but one of the ways that we haven't talked about because we're care bears but yep. is very important to the game is combat yeah uh you get a uh, fame point every time you blow up a ship 
Mm-hmm. And that fame scales based on the size of the ship. So if it's mm-hmm. a tier three ship, you get three fame points. And it's interesting. You know, obviously space combat is something that's really captured the imagination for a long time. And I think yeah. in Zaya, they did space combat relatively well. Yeah, You've got, you know, basically two different types of offensive modules, blasters and missiles. Missiles mm-hmm. have range, require line of sight. Blasters are, you have to be right up next to your opponent. And in each case, it's fundamentally the same. You roll a die, your opponent rolls shield dice if they decide to or have a shield, which Mm -hmm. you should have a shield. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And then they take damage equal to the difference. And damage goes on your cargo, or it goes on your hold in Mm -hmm. either an unoccupied space or a space that's occupied by a outfit in which case it may disable that outfit and mm-hmm. you know prevent you from using it in the future, or a space that's occupied by a piece of cargo, in which case that cargo is just jettisoned. Yep. So a lot of sort of really dynamic damage placement. It's not mm-hmm. just, oh, I have this much health. Yeah. You know, you can you can control, okay, it's really important to me to keep my shields up, so I'm gonna I'm willing to let my engines go offline in order to prevent some future damage later. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these really complex decisions that you have to make. So combat i think is is very interesting it in our games as i mentioned hasn't really been a big deal but at least not player versus player right which is where the npcs come in so again one of the other things that makes this game so great and so open-ended is that there are npcs we mentioned them Mm -hmm. there in that intro two of them at least you have the scoundrel who Mm -hmm. pursues any innocent target yep you have the enforcer who pursues only targets with bounties non-innocent targets mm-hmm. and you have the merchant who doesn't pursue anyone it just goes back and forth between planets and slowly accumulates money yep so if you have a mission to steal money from someone or to blow up a ship but you don't want to engage in pvp combat you can do that you yep. can go blow up the scoundrel you can go blow up the merchant take all that money use mm-hmm. that money to buy fame points to buy a new ship to get fame points to buy yep. outfits to blow ships up to get fame points <laughs> um so the the sort of pve aspect i think provides a nice sort of intermediary for people who are interested in a combat system but don't necessarily want to piss off their friends yep but it also puts you know pressure on someone who if you do go outlaw then you've got the enforcer hunting you down and the enforcer does a not insignificant amount of damage Oh, for sure. Yeah. So it's it's this whole big, interesting system, uh, and I think the NPCs really bring a lot to the table. For sure, exactly. They they, they add something that like that little bit of impetus. If if everyone goes outlaw, it's like you know what's gonna what's gonna happen. Oh well, the enforcer is gonna go after all of you, right? Or like you know if you if you all are just lawful care bears like we normally are, uh, you know there's someone who's still gonna be trying to attack you yeah. with the scoundrel. That adds a lo- little bit of a positioning aspect for that matter to like, you know, where you are and like, you know, got to be careful to be like out of range or not be the one targeted or that kind of stuff. So for sure, when someone gets to a certain fame point, so anyone, as soon as they pass a threshold for fame, they get to reveal a title mm-hmm. and the title card is like a special challenge. So it's cool because what happens is that it gives you a challenge to do. So, for example, blind jump into two different uh, sectors during one turn. And the first person to do that will then get a, a reward of some sort, usually related to whatever they did. Right. So it both gives you more fame points as well as gives you like this extra ability, which is really cool, which like it can give you the edge on like focusing on this one thing that you really want to do. 
Yeah, no, titles are fantastic. They also, you know, they just give you raw fame points, but also they give you that nice little sort of unique customization that makes you feel, I think, you know, rewarded specifically for what it is that you've done rather than just sort of a generic outcome. Yeah. So titles are great. The game itself can last quite a long time, but you can also determine how long you actually want to play it. So the fame point track goes up to 20 points, but you have a token that you put at which point you're playing to. Mm -hmm. So you could play a five point game. You could play a 10 point game. You could play a 20 point game if you want. And the chances are good that you'll say that you're playing a 20 point game and then be like, oh crap, how many hours have we been playing this? Let's go 10. Yep, exactly. So it's nice that it has that variable aspect to it and that you can change the length of the game depending on how much you want to play. So that's uh, Zaya, base game, Legends of Adrift system. It's pretty well done, but the Embers of a Forsaken Star expansion, I think, actually adds so much to the game. Oh, for sure. First of all, there's a new base station called the Kiln that interacts with a lot of the new mechanics, which mm -hmm. are dead planets where you can go and gain relics, yep. which are, you know, really cool. Similar to exploration tokens, uh, they can give you, you know, bonuses or you can just take fame points. Mm -hmm. And there's lots of, you know, titles and interesting stuff related to those. And the kiln is also where you offload an entirely new cargo type called embers. Yep. And embers are acquired from a new hazard type, ice asteroids, which yeah. are just absolutely brutal. Regular damage <laughs> is, you know, regular damage, it goes in your hold, it stays there. Ice damage freezes. So yep. you put down a piece of ice, and then at the end of your turn during the status phase, that ice spreads into every orthogonally adjacent cargo space yep it's so brutal but it's also such a great you know great way to go because ember is worth twice as much as any mm -hmm. regular good so you know it's it's sort of a, a risk reward system and i think it's a great way to balance and i think it's something new that the game brings there's events now in addition to titles which are a whole lot of fun um there's some slight changes to the way that exploration tokens work there's some slight changes to the way that missions work but really the big thing that embers adds and i know jacob is excited to talk about this oh for sure is a massive revamp to the trading system so the trading system in the base game of zaya is simple pick up and deliver that's it no other ifs ands or buts about it yep no um, frills no frills this of course makes it so that there can be a problem where someone discovers two planets right next to each other one has the the cargo that the other one wants, and now one person just goes bing, 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 gets all the points and wins the game very quickly, making it boring for everyone. It does kind of suck. And th that's coming from someone who won that one. Yeah, that's coming from someone who, who won in a blowout. I won by, like, you know, not quite double digits, but, like, I was, you know, 33% higher than the next closest person on the back of that victory condition, and it was it was bad. It was not satisfying for anyone involved. Yeah. So what Embers did was they created an economy board for the cubes. And this is so smart because what it is is that whenever you buy cubes, you buy them from the economy board and there are only six spaces for each color of cube. Mm -hmm. So that's first of all a limiting factor. The second thing is that when you sell any kind of cargo, cubes of the, the next type of cargo that is being produced on the planet that, that you're selling to are going to be generated. Mm -hmm. So it makes this really dynamic system of supply and demand that like you have to be really careful of because if you have those two planets that are right next to each other, 
you can at most get three points out of it. Right. Like, that's the best, best case scenario. So that's not really that much. So you have to, like, start getting, like, more and, like, you know, delivering other cargo to that planet to fuel that, that strategy. And that just makes it a lot more interesting for everyone involved. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's it's it single-handedly fixes one of the biggest problems with the base game, which is the trading system. Yeah. But that's that's the game. You know, that's the base game plus Embers. Mm-hmm. This game is big. You know, it, it's big in terms of the box. You know, it's a pretty big box. It's got tons of stuff in there. It's got stacks on stacks of, of exploration tiles and, you know, cubes and all those sorts of things. And it also just feels big. Yeah. You know, you, you do not feel cramped. It feels like actually exploring the vastness of space. It does. And, and that's, I think, one of the things that I love about this game. It really does capture that feel better than any board game that I have ever played. Like you are just going through and you're finding the new systems, you're blind jumping it, you're like, you know, am I gonna risk it? Like, you know, I have my engines fired up and I have them fueled up, but like, as soon as I stop to scan, they're gonna cool down and I'm gonna have to use energy to start them up again. It's like, it's worth it, I'm gonna, I'm gonna blind jump. Oh shit, there's a star. And I'm inside a star, yeah. Yep, and it's just like, there's like that risk reward or like, you know, I'm gonna go into the debris field. Yeah, I might hit a nuke, but I could also like f- hit gold and like get all these like really good uh, good things. Or I'm going through the nebula because it's the fastest way to go. But oh shit, now I'm stranded. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so the feel of the game really, really does capture that whole like treacherous space exploration things going on and and all that kind of stuff. Absolutely, and I think one of the other great things about the game is that you know not only does it feel really big and really expansive, it also feels suitably you know dangerous um oh yeah you know you've got you've got combat you've got environmental hazards and none of this is things that you can't defend against you know Mm -hmm. shields are really important you can outrun a lot of combatants but there are a lot of constraints that the game places on you that Mm -hmm. i think make things that much more interesting and that much more dynamic you know we mentioned at the top you have to consider your energy you can never be too far from a, a source of energy unless you have some sort of ability to regenerate you know, the shape of your cargo hold is going to dictate a lot of what your capacities are. Yeah. So, you know, overall, I think the game does a fantastic job of drawing the players in with promises of, you know, wealth and exploration and great things, but also limiting them in a way that makes them want to try harder to overcome. You know, some some games I feel like they put limits on you and you're just chafing the whole time. Mm -hmm. Zaya is a game that you have limits and all you can think about is getting to the next stage when you can do more yeah 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 and and that's the cool part you're, you're like buying and upgrading your ship you're, you're keeping the same ability which is awesome from ship from ship to ship and just mm-hmm. adding to it and then like you know now you have like this cooler ship and i think one of the best parts of this game is that they just infuse so much lore and storytelling into everything oh yeah it's like i think in total between zaya and uh embers there are five pages of just lore in the rule books yeah and then each of the, the ships that you have, you have like this nice bigger shipboard on the back. You have a printed of like how you got the ship, like, you know, who you are. You're like, you know, this accountant who has now gotten this ship and is like flying around the verse, like freedom at last. This really resonates with Jacob personally. You know, exactly. Or like, you know, you inherited something from your uncle or like whatever it is. Or some, like I said, some mad scientist gave you like this, this crazy high tech ship that has amazing technology and 
it really gets you invested in it. Like all of the events, all of the missions also have like a little bit of a subtext of like what's going on there as well. Mm -hmm. So you can like, you know, be like, Oh, like this smuggling mission, I am helping like smuggle in like um, vaccines or some kind of medicine. Mm -hmm. But like, you know, it's up to you just to see like, are you smuggling them in to give them to the uh, drug lord of the planet to like not give out? Or are you giving them to being Robin Hood and giving them to the, the people, you know, that kind of thing. So it's it's all just it, it has some really really fun lore aspects. All the planets are described, all their histories. I mean, like Doravan Five has an ongoing agricultural war that only happens during the winter. Yeah, no, it's it's fantastic lore, um, and I think the game designers did just a really good job with a lot of those sorts of creative aspects. You know, it's the lore, the components themselves are gorgeous. All the ship miniatures are pre-painted. Yeah. Um, the the sector tiles the planets mm -hmm. are really lovingly rendered you the know coins. just the coins yeah the coins that come along with the game are these nice like triangular discs that are are super you know interesting and unique in terms of like you know a space currency yeah. so overall i think they just did a great job you know making the game feel good mm -hmm. and one other thing that they actually added in embers that we hadn't talked about before that adds to this is the events that, yeah. ma that make the, the game just feel really really dynamic because like when you get to certain points on the fame track, then an event is revealed. And it could be anything from, like, we had a really fun event at the beginning of our last game where all the shields were down. Mm -hmm. So we we didn't have to worry about shields for, like, three rounds. And that was awesome. But then, And then later on, like, there was an event that, like, one of the ships got infested. And, yeah. like, you know, it would, it would push the infestation onto anyone that it, like, was within one space of. Yeah. And so it's all these kinds of things that, that can really change what you can do that make it so much more interesting. Yeah, absolutely. For all that, though, no game is perfect, not even Zaya. Nope. And there are a few sort of glaring issues with it. One of them is probably the most obvious the most salient is that turns take Forever. a really long time so there's no you know you have a limited supply of energy and you have a limited number of of markers that you can use mm -hmm. to use your modules your outfits but other than that there's no actual limit on the number of things you can do so yeah. if you're zooming around and some things are even minor actions so you know you can blind jump you can pick up exploration tokens you can acquire new missions all of these things don't interrupt your movement. So you can zoom around, do a whole bunch of stuff, fly back to a planet, offload some stuff, leave again, go complete a mission. And especially if you're playing in a maxed out five player game, especially if you're playing to 20 points, yeah. like it can just get really, really long. Mm -hmm. And there's limited player interaction, like unless you're directly being attacked. Yeah. You know, there's limited player interaction. So a lot of those players that aren't going are just going to zone out. Exactly. It does have that problem for sure. It's very easy to zone out and be like, all right, you do whatever. I'm going to go do something else over here. Yeah. The other thing is, especially for me, as um, I'm pretty sure everyone here knows by now, my die rolls are famously <laughs> that. Yeah, they're, they're yeah. So like, there is a lot of randomness that's added to that, that like is added by the die, dice. And I totally understand why it's there. And I totally get it. But I think that this is a perfect candidate for making a just some special custom dice that mm -hmm. have like slightly different altered percentages or just something like that that would offset it a bit. Yeah. Because as it stands, it's like if you roll that one, it's 
especially on something like shields. Like your shields, you're taking incoming like ten damage from being in an asteroid field because of course you rolled a ten. Then what you're what are you going to roll on the shields is going to be a one, making sure you take nine damage. Right. So it's that kind of thing where the randomness is good, but I think should be mitigated a little bit more. Yeah, I think I agree. I mean, in in a lot of cases, you know, there are ways to do mitigation. You mentioned the shields, but mm-hmm. sometimes you have crappy rolls. I think actually one of the aspects of randomness that really bugs me is the just the sheer probability that you fail to harvest a thing yeah um you know by default for most of the things it's 50 percent of the time Mm -hmm. you are unsuccessful at your harvest which since you know the amount of damage that you take is based on your roll one to ten deals you damage i understand sort of the symmetry of that system but it's also you know it's really frustrating yeah when you're just you know, even if you're in a tier three ship, because there's no scalability, you mm-hmm. know, you're flying around, you've mastered, you've got 19 fame points, you've like, you have totally dominated space. And then, you know, three times in a row, you fail to harvest like a resource at an asteroid. Yeah. You're just kind of like, well, that sucks. And not only does it suck, but like, it's very possible that your ship now is very damaged and you're going to blow up. Right. So, you know, it's it's one of those things that I think maybe they could have put a little more design work into developing an alternative system or maybe, you know, the with the expansion introduced, you know, new scaling systems depending on the tier of your ship. Which, I mean, uh, with the tier of the ship they didn't, they, they luckily did for engines because I think that that was the worst. Like, rolling a one on an engine is probably the worst thing ever. And so they they put in uh, the GTS, which gives you an automatic plus two to whatever die roll you're, you're doing. Right. And if they just did some sort of mitigation like that with with other stuff, you know, yeah. whether it's probably not with weapons because that would, that would be pretty broken. Mm-hmm. But, you know, with harvesting, you know, they did the Enviro shields, yeah. but, you know, maybe that's enough. But it, it just, it would be interesting to see more, I think, yeah. mitigation. I agree. It would I sort of level the, level the playing field. So one of the other things that's, relatively frustrating at least if you don't have the embers expansion we mentioned the trading system yeah it's bad like it's it's not good like i just don't i don't know what else there is to say right because you know sometimes it's exploitable and sometimes it's not and it's inconsistent and when it's not exploitable sure it's just a minor part of the game you pick up a couple points here or there Mm -hmm. but you know if it is it can totally throw the game off balance so i think this is a perfect example, actually, of developers recognizing that yeah. their game wasn't perfect and fixing it. So mad props to them for sure uh, for, for getting the Embers expansion. But as we move into talking about what rating we're going to give this, mm-hmm. Jacob has informed me that Embers of a Forsaken Star is actually not available at the moment yep. unless you're willing to buy it for like $400 on the secondary market. Yep. So with that in mind, in terms of current accessibility, considering that the base game is $85, I love it to death. I think it's great. I think it's fantastic. But it's a play it. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's this big, grandiose thing. And if that's your style, like if space exploration, if space operas, you know, if you love Firefly and if you love Outlaw Star and all that mm-hmm. jazz, like absolutely pick this up. But just recognize that this is a huge investment. And without access to the expansion, I personally feel like your game experience is only going to be maybe half of what it could be. Yeah, for sure. I completely agree. I think that for me, until the expansion comes out back into print or you have some kind of availability to buy uh, both the base and the expansion together. So if you find it on eBay that there's like the base and the expansion together, I say 100% buy it. (laughs) But if it's just the base game, 
unfortunately, I can't give it a buy. I love the game. I think this game captures my imagination in, in a way that very, very few games have. And I think it's amazing, but without the expansion, I do not think it's worth the uh, the full price of entry. Well, there you go. Uh, that's our review of Zaya and its expansion, Embers of a Forsaken Star. But as we go, as always, we're going to recommend a few games. If you like these, you might like this and vice versa. The first that we're going to do with really quickly is Firefly, the board game. Yep. Neither of us have played it, but, you know, we've, we've talked to people who've played it. We've seen reviews and things. It basically just looks like a reskin, honestly. <laughs> I mean, it has, a, I think, a little bit less uh, going for it in terms of uh, the complexity of some some parts of it. it doesn't have the the exact ship design and that kind of stuff. Right. But like in terms of just running missions and doing that kind of thing, yeah, it's it's it has less exploration, a lot more of the actual space stuff that right. you're doing. Yeah. So I definitely think that if you like one, you'll probably like the other. Um, the second one is one that. Probably what you wouldn't think of too much. And this is Near and Far. So Near and Far for me is similar in that you are a single person competing in an exploration kind of game. Mm -hmm. And there is a lot of like the exploration in terms of the different adventures that you're going on in Near and Far versus like all the like the blind jumping and like just seeing what is out there in uh, in Zaya. And then you're also improving in similar ways where, you know, Zaya, you're buying all these outfits and your different items pretty much to add to your ship. In Near and Far, you're getting all the items and artifacts and things like that that add to your character and help them uh, become better or like the whole party kind of thing. So I think that as unorthodox as it sounds to compare a space exploration game with uh, a cute game about exploring all different maps of like semi-medieval-ish era type <laughs> things, I think it actually works decently well. Yeah, and along a similar vein, sort of unconventional, I'm going to recommend Vast. Vast, I think, is another game that does a really good job of capturing the sort of progression, the growth throughout the game. Vast definitely has more specific goals in mind, but I think also in terms of how the players relate to one another, there's a similar sort of coalition building, you know, okay, I'm going to work with you to prevent this player from getting their last couple of points. Mm -hmm. And then I'm going to turn around and stab you in the back yeah. and blow you up in order to get those last couple of points. Or yeah. I'm going to turn around and stab you in the back in order to escape the the cave. Mm -hmm. So I think there's some similarities there in terms of how the, the players relate to one another. I think there's similarities in the progression. Um, and also with the exploration, you know, filling in a map. And in one case, it's it's tiles of a cave. In one case, it's tiles of space. I think that sort of progressive expansion and building out a map uh, is is quite similar. So if you're looking for a game that is admittedly much more focused, but still features a lot of you know the similar progressive style exploratory gameplay, mm -hmm. check out Vast. And if you're looking for something a little bit more open-ended, check out Zaya. There we go. And that's a look at our review of Zaya. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Dragon's Demise. We hope that you enjoyed it. Be sure to check out WashingtonCon.com because tickets are on sale. Also, if you are interested, we are looking for volunteers for WashingtonCon. Volunteering gives you a free two-day pass, so please check that out if you are interested and want to help out the con. We have a lot of really cool things that we'll be doing, and we will be needing a lot of volunteers who will be interested in doing all this kind of stuff. Everything from RPGs to running a Lego dungeon that we're thinking about right now.
But of course, we need volunteers to get all this done and to have it all happen. So if you're interested, make sure to check out washington.com and get in touch with, with us there. Otherwise, we're really hoping to see you guys there. There are going to be a lot of really awesome people, some great panels, some awesome discussions and events. So I can't wait to share all that with you, and I really hope to see you guys there soon. Be sure to stay tuned to our Twitch and YouTube channels for our weekly live streams. This week we will be playing a variety stream both on Wednesday and on Friday. So definitely be sure to stay tuned for that. Also, on our YouTube channel, we have even more stuff coming up. We have the rest of the Jenga interviews, as well as a new board game bistro coming out later on this month, so be sure to stay tuned to our YouTube channel for that. And lastly, next week, we're going to be airing an episode that talks a little bit about us. So we are doing this for you guys. We are doing this to connect with other people just like us. So we thought the best thing to do would be to tell you guys a little bit about who we are. So this is a little bit of an intro episode to each of us, who we are, what we do, a little bit of our background and other things like that, just so you guys can get to know us, just like we want to get to know you guys. So be sure to tune in for that next week.